story county the mustang still runs free eagle soars above the pinion pines and we know these horses stand for something that is precious and more rare than all the silver and the gold from them old mines so let them run let them Hi, welcome to Horse Sense 101. I'm your host, Joe Jones, Vail, Oregon's resident redneck and owner of Joe Jones Performance Horses. Horse Sense 101 is a podcast dedicated to helping you have a meaningful relationship with your horse and for them to be a willing partner in all your adventures. The podcast is available every Monday morning at 6 a.m. Mountain Time, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to join us on our Facebook group, Horse Sense 101. You can also find the podcast link, calendar, and news about our upcoming events on our webpage, www.horse-sense101.com, and sign up for our newsletter there as well. And if you have a moment and are so inclined, please leave a review on Podchaser. It's free, and I would really appreciate it. This week, I had the pleasure of having a conversation with Mr. Butch Mowdy, lifelong horseman and owner of Equine Kindergarten. Welcome to Horse Sense 101. I'm, I'm visiting this evening with uh, Mr. Butch Mowdy um, in Emmett, Idaho. He's a longtime horse, horse owner and horse trainer. Um, let's uh, tell, tell me a little bit about your, your background, sir, your, you know, how, how we got to where we're at, about your childhood and, and uh, your family, uh, family life as you were growing up. Well, it, it, probably a real similar story to everybody else you know i mean um i just i just grew up around around the deal and and i was around some some people growing up who made things look pretty easy and when i was trying to get done the things that i was supposed to get done as a kid it could turn into a struggle and there was some some people that helped me out that uh, my dad being one my grandpa my uncle um they they knew some they knew better ways all i had to do was just be quiet and listen and then i started buckarooing and i started out being the youngest on the crew and then all of a sudden one day i looked over my shoulder and i was the oldest and uh you know, I rode bulls for a living for a pretty dang long time. And the rodeo deal makes you kind of aggressive. And when I changed from that career to, to, to messing with the horses, I went back to how I was raised and I was exposed to Ray and Tom quite a bit when I was a kid. And, and, you're you're speaking of of Ray Hunt and Tom Dorrance, I, I'm I'm assuming. Yes, sir. I um, I uh, I'm really reluctant to try to convince someone of my value by using other people's names, but those two gentlemen right there took the time to talk to me, and. Uh, they made me cry a couple or three times and uh, they were an example. I mean, my granddad and my uncle, they both worked at Miller and Lux when they were young. And if you're familiar with Miller and Lux, there was some buckaroos that worked in that country, you know, and uh, one of the largest cow outfits in the planet. And when they were young, they worked there and they had stories to tell and they had skills to pass on. But it, it seemed like uh, Ray and Tom had the biggest influence. I don't know why. It's, there was just an X factor there that made you want to gravitate and follow them around, you know. Um, 
Well, they both certainly and, uh, had that effect on horses. Um, it, it's no surprise that they had they had that effect on on people. I know one of one of the most challenging books I've ever read was True Unity by by Tom Dorrance. And yes, there there's so much information in that book that I can't understand that want that I want to. Um, I, I can I can only imagine what it was like to grow up with that direct influence. I, I was never I was never fortunate enough to get to be in their presence. Um, and I'm, I'm envious that you were. I uh, I was working for a horse trader in LaGrange, California. And my and my job was to head and tail two horses together and trot five miles to a set of pins switch the two horses and trot back to Lake Don Pedro and uh, the set of pins was owned by Tim Erickson and Tom Dorrance was living in the house and they we had a deal worked out where it was okay if I used the pins but it it, it took Tom three or four months before he ever really said anything to me. I, I, I think he wanted to see if I was going to die before he wasted any breath on me. You know? <laughs> and uh, he, he, he actually showed me how to pony two horses instead of heading and tailing them together. And that was the beginning of not really any formal lessons, but if he saw something, he said something. And, and if I was smart enough to understand it, I absorbed it. And I've wore out five or six copies of True Unity, and I actually have two signed copies of it here in my library. And uh, I'll never be smart enough to figure out that book. <laughs> yeah, I, I, always, I always tell myself that every time I pick it up, if I can just get, get a question, if I can get a question figured out, um, then then maybe maybe I'm I'll make a little bit of progress. If I can read that and get a question. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, my wife went in for knee surgery here a couple of years ago, and uh, so I took Tom's book with me, and they were completely done with her surgery, and she was in recovery, and I was still on the first page. <laughs> uh, just it, it was it was just that deep it kept making my mind go around in circles and like i said i've read i've wore out five six copies of it and uh it, it it's like the bible and i'm not saying that tom was god and i'm not saying that true unity is the bible but you could read the bible a hundred times and every time you read it you'd see something different and I think you just learn in levels. If you're ready for the knowledge, it's there, you know. But yeah, I'm I'm amazed at how much way. how much he packed into that with Millie's help. <laughs> I, I, I yes, sir. And I don't know if it was a I don't know if it was a conscious thought or if it just flowed out of him like water in a creek. You, you know. I don't think anybody will ever know and, and, and until we get up there and we're riding cow horses with them guys, you know. But anyways, that's... But what about your family now? You, you, live in, you live in Emmett, Idaho. I, I live in Emmett, Idaho with a, a, a wonderful lady named Andrea. Um, when Andrea met me, I was living in a horse trailer and she saw the potential. And so she took a chance on me and my gosh, we've been together for 20 years or so. And, uh, uh, without her, I'd still be living behind my uncle Lawrence's old indoor thinking I was riding the high hog, you know, um, she, she helped me communicate with people better. And I still fail at that, but she, she kind of saw the potential and she, she drugged me along with her and uh, I'm blessed to have her in my life. That's a fact. Well, let, let's talk about it. And I, I think I'm probably going to, going to open a can of worms here. That's, that's 
hard to put back in and hard to put words to, but um, I, I think that we, there's a lot of people say this word horsemanship. Um, and I don't know that they necessarily know what that means to them. Um, I, I, I suspect that it means different things to different people, but if you were to try and define horsemanship, how would you, how would you do that, sir? Um, I'd look a little horse in the eye and I would ask him, I'd never tell him I would educate the ignorance and I would reward the tries. And if he got better every single day, that would mean that he's on the road he's supposed to be on. I'm saying the horse, but in the process, if that horse starts growing, I need to grow with that horse. I can't treat that horse the same when he's straight up in the spade as I did when he was still running with his mom. So it's, it's liquid. It's, it's like a crick running down a hill. There's all kind of things in the way, but there's easy ways to go around those things. And you end up down at the bottom where you and the horse are together on the same page. The horse is reading your intentions. So all you got to do is think it. And it's the same thought that they have. I've ridden with some bridal horse guys that you'd be hard pressed to get a photograph of them ever moving a hand or moving a foot. And it had to been reading your intentions. And Tom touched on that just a little and I use it every single day. And uh, my definition of horsemanship is if fame, fortune, and glory is the reason that you're working with horses, you're never going to get to horsemanship. That's pretty simplistic, but that's the way I think about it. So would you, would you say it's fair to, fair to say that, that um, your, your life as a buckaroo shapes your, your philosophy with horses? You know, experiences like 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 getting to be around Tom Dorrance. Well, you see, there's two ways to coexist with horses and cows, and there's two ways to coexist in the world. Uh, you can either float with it, go with it, and modify the things that don't fit you, but ultimately you go with it. And there's another way: you throw a dam across that creek and turn it into a lake. And then uh, fight that for the rest of your life. If if it's not flowing, it, it, if you're having to struggle with it every single day, maybe instead of the horses changing, maybe the person needs to change because there's a there's a disconnect there. Uh, animals been getting along for centuries. Uh, People are the only species that can't get along. And therein lies the reason it's so hard for some people to work with a horse because they don't have any experience coexisting. And Tom talked about coexistence too quite a bit. And I think that answered your question. It, it, it does. Um, and, and I guess the tricky thing about all this is that is once you start down that road it's the slope is really slippery and, and you yes. get sucked into a different way of life right well yes sir it, it you know ray said quit training your horse go get in the mirror and get right with the guy that's staring back at you you, you work on yourself your horses will come along with you because then you have value to them um, and, and I also, you know, I'm, I'm from show pit environment somewhat, you know, I mean, I understand I work with dressage horses quite a bit. I work with, I work with problem horses that are show pin sour and all of these things come back to getting to a place where you could do things without the pressure you can do things without force 
but you may not be riding an 80 Rainer. You might be riding a 72 Rainer. Well, it's okay if you accept the fact that he's a 72 Rainer and you don't try to pound an 80 out of him, you're going to have a 72 Rainer for as long as the horse goes into the pen. And, and I understand that. I mean, we've got trophies and we've got buckles here in the office hanging up here. And, and I have kind of a reputation for taking yearlings and showing them against three-year-olds and being pretty dang successful in the, in the in-hand trail and that kind of stuff. And uh, I understand what it takes to win in the show pin, but you can win in the show pin and still treat the horse like he is an equal and not a slave. Does that make sense? Well, it make it makes perfect sense to me, and that's that's what I what I when I talk about horsemanship to my to my people, it's it's it sometimes makes their eyes glaze over because you know they want to know how <laughs> how did you do that and 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 you know it's not the real question isn't how did I do that it's the 25 other things that we got right so that we could do that. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it, it started along, you know, and, and I got really humbled. I, I asked, I asked Annie Reynolds one time how she got her horses to turn around, you know, how she got her horses to spin the way she does. And, and she told me that we didn't really have enough time to have that conversation um, because it's really complicated. Um, it yeah. takes a long time and there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that go into it. You don't just kick them with an outside leg. Um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's what I wanted. I wanted to know what leg to kick them with. And, and so that yeah. they'd go in a circle and, and that wasn't the answer, right? Yes, sir. You know, in, in my world, if, uh, if you're, I mean, in this utopian world that I've created, if the horse doesn't understand to turn around, well, pressure ain't going to ever be the answer. That just means I failed as a teacher and I don't like failing. And I've seen guys ride spade bit horses that were just walking around a hind leg while they rolled a cigarette and then they could change and roll them around the other way while they were lighting that cigarette. And that's the kind of stuff that could turn into plus in your turnarounds. And it ain't really magic. It's just being patient and taking the time that it takes to educate and not punish. But maybe that's too simplistic of an attitude. Well, it sounds really, it, it sounds easy, but it's not, it's simple, but it's not easy. Um, and people confuse those two things all the time, simple and easy. They're not the same thing. No, um, sir. None of this horse training stuff is, is, is complex, really. It's, it's really, really simple, but it's certainly not easy to do. The reason it's not easy to do is because of the human factor, the horses could spin holes in the ground and plus their turnarounds while they were still on their mothers. Yeah, I had a guy tell me that that we don't teach horses. There isn't anything that we do on the back of a horse that they don't already know how to do. Yes, sir. Um, horses horses can change leads. They can spin. They can slide. They can they can do any of these maneuvers that we so so highly prize that we think we're going to teach them to do yes sir they know how to change leads don't think for a second we need to teach them <laughs> and 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 that was a pretty wise fellow that told you that but you, you want to see a horse back up look at a baby horse that stuck his head in the damn badger hole when he sees that badger sitting in there he'll back up at the trot and it looks just about like uh work in equitation it's pretty fancy <laughs> right right <laughs> But so 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 tell me tell me butch about about your clients um who who do you serve who what what is what is your i guess what do you do to pay to pay the bills do you train for other people do you train your own what what well, is what is it that you do what started this whole deal was 
I sold myself a foot and everybody's done that, but I sold myself a foot and all I had was a bunch of baby horses, a bunch of young horses here. I started experimenting with, well, what could a baby horse do? And we, we fell into a deal where we were, we were bringing these little baby horses along to where they started really having some added value. And, and we were at the time we were raising horses and, and I started doing all of this with on my own personal baby horses. And then a person asked me if I could do one of theirs and it turned into a whole barn full and I have a waiting list. And basically I'll take a yearling and I'll haul him all summer and I'll show him in halter, in hand trail and showmanship. But the kicker is these are all yearlings and I'm showing against three-year-olds and in the halter classes and the showmanship, I'm showing against horses that's been to the world show. And we have had a tremendous amount of success because I don't bring them babies along like they're grooming them for the world show. I bring those babies along like I'm grooming them to wear the spade bit. And I'm making bridle horses, except for I'm just starting two, three years ahead of everybody else. And everything that I do on the ground can be copied sitting on their backs. If I can't copy what I'm doing on the ground, I don't do it on the ground. And it seems to make all the difference in turning out. I've had lots and lots of baby horses graduate from my program and go on to become world champions. And, and it's just because we treat them like we would if we were riding for tomorrow, training for tomorrow. That's the way we work with the babies. Now, as far as the clients go, about half the clients that come to my house, they're just fed up with their horse running over the top of them while they lead them from water to the stall. They're getting tired of getting smashed in the horse trailer. They're getting tired of not being able to put their horses in the horse trailer. I have a whole bunch of friends that make a living showing performance horses. And I don't start cults for the public. Hell, I don't even consider myself a horse trainer. But if I could get them people to the same level as the horse, then those horses are going to have a better quality of life. And the people are going to be realistic enough not to try to pound something out of one of them horses or jerk it out of them that they don't have in them to give because the people don't know the correct way to even ask. And so that's what turned into my lesson deal. And then it evolved again to where we found out that we could fix dressage horses and jumpers, performance horses that were ring sour and burnt out from chasing the ribbons and not getting road, not getting handled right. And so now 30% of my business is fixing aged horses that do silly stuff. I mean, all the way from pulling back to not getting in the trailer no more to running off and, and uh, all of the same stuff that we do with the babies, we do with the older horses. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. My, my suspicion is that none of those repairs would be effective on any lasting basis unless you were able to bring the owner basically into the mix so that they <laughs> they could make it i mean I, I mean i know there's a lot of trainers that that you know they consider it job security if if the yes if the non-pros got to bring them the horse back every three months for a a 30-day tune-up, then that's job security, right? But Well, the, the non-pro is supposed to leave the horse in the pro's barn. Right, right. And so it's never <laughs> it's never that screwed up, right? Yes, sir. And uh, a little caveat to my uh, business model, if I'm going to show a yearling and haul it all year, and they end up spending quite a bit of money, but um, that's okay because that's, a, that's what the client wants. I, and I don't particularly concern myself with whether the client takes, comes out and takes lessons or not. 
but anything else other than the horses I'm showing, I don't even take those horses on unless the owners come with them. I used to wrestle with, well, I'm getting this horse right and I'm going to send him home and this son of a gun's going to wreck. And I almost quit messing with them because I couldn't control what happened when they went home. But the only influence I can have when they go home is if I have it a policy that I won't even take the horse on unless the owner comes out and wants to take lessons. And I've made it so that if their horse is here, they can have as many lessons as they want and I don't charge them a nickel for the lessons. The lessons are all free if their horse is here. I encourage it. And uh, I can live with that business model. The others, I can't do it. Understood. So time management must be um, a challenge with that business model, would it not? Um, yeah, except for I'm 67 years old and I'm getting opportunities thrown at me that I am so thankful for that if I got to put in a 20 hour day, I do. And it doesn't bother me a bit because every day like that, that I put in, I get better with the horses and with the people. Like I said earlier, I don't like to fail. So if my students don't succeed, at least on some level, uh, I don't like that. I want to make sure that the horse and the human are successful. And I, I'm not talking win the world show or the NRHA futurity or success is measured in all kinds of different ways. And if I could get a person to grab a hold of a horse and have that horse grab a hold of them at the same time, we have achieved success. Does that make sense? It does. It does. So, so how do you structure your program so that your clients understand? You know, I talked to with uh, I talked with my friend Wade Black about you know growing up as Martin Black's kid and and Ray Hunt's granddad, and, yeah. and Wade Wade says one of the most frustrating things in his life was the phrase "There, did you feel that? There, did you feel that?" <laughs> because whenever they said that, it was always late, and and, and it's so, and that that's one of the things that I appreciated about Wade's teaching skills was Wade Wade came took all those things that he saw his, his dad and his grandpa do. And he saw Tom do, and he, and he wrote it down and broke it down into, into bite side chunks. So he can teach, you know, college kids how to start cults and not die. Yes. What, what, I guess my, my, what I'm trying to get is, is your, what is your approach with, with teaching your clients? Do you, how do you, how do you even introduce this to, to someone who uh, is obviously, you know, loves horses, wants horses, but may not even know how to lead one. Well, here's how I go about it. And I didn't invent this. I stole it from Ray and Tom and Bill and my granddad and my uncle, and everybody that ever, you know, I, I worked at Rancho Idaho with Tom Buckingham and he, and he was a rain cow horse guy and he was a rootin' tootin' buckaroo. He's a damn good hand. And, and uh, it, it's just unbelievable the amount of people I've talked to. This is how I go about it. I teach the horses to follow a feel. I don't teach them to move their shoulders. I don't teach them to yield their hips. I don't teach them to two track on the circles. I don't teach them to drop their head flex. I don't teach them to back up. I teach them to follow a feel. And that feel can be physical and that feel could also be mental. When I work with the people, I approach the lessons with the horses. So I want this little horse to, you touch his right jaw, I want his left front foot to step over. I like my horses to reach. They don't get punished for crossing over, but I like them to reach. So we start out with the human and say, okay, I want you to touch his right jaw. 
and I want you to just touch it. When he moves his left front foot, I want you to let go, and I want you to go up there and just wallow on him and pet on him. Now, a little bit later on in the lessons, they're not getting the response they want. Then it becomes easy for me to say, well, you're not offering that horse the correct feel to get the response that you want. So now that opens the door to, if you're not getting what you want, you better change the way you're asking. And that opens up that whole can of worms where you think before you do and you don't ask for nothing unless you've already worked it out in your mind and blah, blah, blah. And uh, a few of the people I work with they just get locked onto that idea. Well, he's, I'm touching him here and he's moving his left foot. I want him to move his right. So I'm not going to touch him there no more. I'm going to touch him somewhere else. And when they find that place that moves that right front foot, they'll remember forever. And they almost act like they've invented the wheel. And that makes me smile clear down to my little toes. Because now these people are trying to think like somebody that wants to communicate with a horse instead of tell a horse what to do. And that's the whole, that's the whole key to it anyways. And that's what seems to work for me. That, that's, that's, that's just, that's so outstanding. That, that really is. Um, I, I, I think, I think it's so challenging for all of us. I mean, I, I, my upbringing, I, I, I rode really, really good horses. My dad buck rode at the Rancho Idaho. Uh -huh. I, I got to ride as a, as a, you know, late teen, early twenties with, with Annie Reynolds and, and uh, Chubby Turner and, and Bell Freeman and, and the very, you know, I, I rode really, really good horses and, and I had no idea, no more idea than a goat. What horsemanship <laughs> was. Well, you, you knew what it felt like when they gave you the ribbon. Right. No, I, I knew what it was like to run and stop and, and you know, <laughs> how, how to watch a cow. But but the whole horsemanship thing, it never even occurred to me. And and God bless him. Leo Woodbury tried as hard as he could to introduce it to me. And I wouldn't I wouldn't have any of it. Um, I was too I was too bent on competition. And it yes, wasn't sir. until I got old and fragile that I even started asking the question. You, you know, it's like it's like it's like my heroes have said, man, if you don't know what to do, just stand still, take a deep breath and ask your horse how to do it. And yeah, believe, right? believe it or not, them horses are way ahead of you, you know, uh, and, and <laughs> I can I can remember Tom saying, touch him. Now, don't do nothing. His job's to move his feet, not yours. And that sounds really overly simplistic. But if you get him to follow in a feel, now you got a little horse that'll walk around his inside hind leg or he'll walk around his outside hind leg. And he'll do it just as fast as the feel that's presented to him. And he won't know how to do it wrong because you don't practice it wrong. And pretty quick, the horses don't even know how to fail. They just follow a feel because they know if they follow the feel, you're going to rub the color off of them. And it's a pretty simple deal. And it can turn into running an 80 in the rain. And if you got that kind of horse, but it takes an, it, it, it takes a little more time. But I've always been taught that a really nice bridle horse is a hell of a lot better than a really nice snaffle bitter. But who am I? I ain't nobody. You know, it's just how I've thought about things and figured them out for me. No, absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. Um, so when, when you take on a new client, um, you know, obviously the people that, that are in the, in your program know what to expect, but when you bring on a new client, how, how what do you tell them to expect? I mean, I guess, what do you look for in a client and, and, and how do you get them to set the right expectations so that they can be successful? Well, the, the machine is practically got a mind of its own now. Um, uh, I've got a horse in the barn right now. It's a two-year-old Western pleasure prospect. It came from 
San Antonio, Texas or someplace. The lady that owns it lives in Montana. The horse has never been to her house yet. Uh, they, brought the, they brought the horse straight from the breeders to me to do my thing. And that was, that was, that's how I get quite a few of my clients. You know, I mean, I've had horses from all over the country and I know that there's horse trainers in the country that those horses were from, but. Yeah, they do train horses in Texas, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. They train horses in every state in the union and there's really, really good hands that live in those places. But you know, uh, in the Arabian world, I, I took a two-year-old sport horse to fifth in the nation and the lady that owned the stud puts on her breeding certificates that I highly recommend that when this horse becomes a weanling or a yearling that you send him to Idaho to Butch Mountie. And I've had, I've had Arabians come to me from all over the country just because of the fact that the breeder recommended me to handle them when they were babies. Uh, and I'm humbled by all of that because uh, I'm not special. I am not a genius. I just teach those horses to follow a feel and it seems really simple to me, but you know, I, I'm one of the one of the debates my my bride and I have is is about this whole notion of horse whispering. <laughs> I, I, mean, I maintain it's not. You know, she said, well, these horses do this and these horses do that with you and they and, you know, you're 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 gifted. And I'm like, honey, I'm not gifted. I I I. I understand you know broken equine I, i'm not fluent in equine by any stretch but i can kind of understand their language and it's in my opinion that's that's it's not a gift it's just taking the time and and getting that feel uh, like, like you said it, it truly is a feel it's following a feel uh -huh. once once you get it it's not magic it's no. just like it's just like a second language. And, you know, this isn't uh, <laughs> this isn't politically correct. The next thing I'm going to say. But this is exactly how it was said to me. The best way in the world to learn Spanish is to teach your Spanish help how to speak English. And by the time that you've taught your Spanish help to speak English, you know how to speak Spanish. So if you want those horses to speak human, Maybe so you should speak horse and let that horse teach you how to speak horse. And if you'll take the time to learn how to speak horse, by the time you've learned how to speak horse, them little horses know how to speak human. And it's, that was a pretty vanilla statement that I just made. That's not exactly how it was explained to me, but it's, it's been my approach. Do you do you agree that 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 philosophy should be encouraging to all people? Because to me, you know, if you if you call it a gift, that means that there's a bunch of people out there that will never have it. But if it's if it's something that can be learned, that opens up the love of horses really to every human if they so choose the path. It's yeah. I, I think it makes it that philosophy makes horsemanship <laughs> and that relationship with a horse accessible to everyone. Yes, sir. And uh, there's a real famous Ray Hunt quote. Ray Hunt said, somebody's got to run this outfit. Now, that's not Ray Hunt's excuse for you to knock the hell out of your horse, but it is maybe an opportunity for you to say, Hey, my horse is running all over me. Well, you might say, well, why are you letting your horse run all over you? How about tell your horse to not run all over you? And when he doesn't run over you, how about treating him like he's an equal? And the first thing you know, now you're back to Tom Dorrance. All he preached was coexistence, but he didn't, he wasn't a slave to the horse and the horses weren't slaves to him. They coexisted. Everybody could learn how to do that. If they're willing to take the time, once again, the horses are perfect. It's the people with the troubles. If you know, and, 
unless a person wants to not be troubled, they're going to continue to live in such a way as they're troubled all the time. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I remember Wade, Wade talked, uh, Wade Black talked about uh, when he was young, when he was young and he was training horses, he'd, he'd get one that was kind of tough. And, and so then he'd go to his dad and it's like his dad would tell his dad, well, this, here's an exception. The, the, the stuff you're teaching me doesn't, doesn't work with this horse. And, uh, you know, I said, I found, he said, I'd find the exception. Well, his dad would start working it. And 30 minutes later, the horse was fine. Uh -huh. And and Wade was like, dang, you know, I guess, I guess the horse was okay. It was me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yes. And that's, I guess, that's the part of a part about it that, that you know, we as 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 horse lovers can't get discouraged when when it gets hard because it will get hard, right? Yes, sir. I have a client that sends me nothing but rescue horses. And uh, you ain't had your will tested till somebody unloads a five-year-old uncut half-draft stud horse that they want to break the lead. They want to break the lead and be soft, quiet, and relaxed. Now, that'll test every bit of your uh, belief in what you believe. Right. Here's and, the exception to the rule, right? Yeah, this yeah. one. Yeah. The, the the truth of the matter is, is uh, the horses are perfect, but if a horse has learned an incorrect response to stimulus, it's your responsibility as a teacher to educate that horse to correct responses to stimuli, not beat him until he's afraid to do anything. Instead of punishing that horse, if you're not a good enough teacher to educate that horse, then that's the horse that you aren't good enough to handle. And good Lord of will, and that, that's not going to be what most people's situation is. But you can take a really nice horse and treat it weird, and pretty quick that nice horse is kind of a monster. And if you don't educate the people, they just go to create monster after monster after monster, you know, it's, uh, but the horses are never wrong. I mean, even if he's coming down the line with his teeth snapping and he's trying to paw the buttons off your shirt, he learned to do that from somebody else. Yeah, he just try, he, he's just trying to do what horses do. Yeah. And so if you fancy yourself as a horseman, then you got to know how to reeducate that horse. Stay safe, not die, not kill the horse. And the next thing you know, you pop up on him bareback. That don't take minutes. That takes months. And like I said, these, these, these rescue horses and some of these troubled horses that's come out here has been better teachers than anybody that's ever taught me anything. And I've always felt real bad because it takes me a long time. I'm kind of slow. But the, the people that owned the horses, they took that bad feeling away from me because they were they were in a good place mentally. And uh, like I like I said, you know, it's it just makes you better. You'll never get any better if all you rides horses that were born broke. Does that make sense? Oh, it, it, it is true. Words were, were never spoken. Um, you know, I, I, I am a believer that that, you know, if you're new to horses and you're probably a, a, a yearling's not an unhandled yearling probably isn't a good idea for your first horse. Um, <laughs> but, it, but, but at some, at some point, at some point you're going to, you're going to, you're going to crave that, that young horse. Yes, sir. You know, there, there will come a day you know, once you understand where it is you're going, there will come a day that the that the teacher inside your soul is going to have an itch that it, that you want to scratch. Yeah, but um, but I tell everybody that that the most important thing you can do in this whole deal is have a guide. I mean, you can you could maybe figure it out on your own eventually, yes, 
Maybe. But I think, you know, investing in horse training is, is okay. I think investing in, and th this is, you know, what I've always believed, but investing in, in training for yourself is priceless. Yeah. Well, it, it, it goes back to work on yourself. Your horses will follow you. You know, um, knowledge is power. And, and um, how do you get knowledge? By screwing up and living through it. You know, uh, the, the horse is, God, it, it, it's sort of like this. So, you know, you're talking about that horse that he comes down the line at you with his teeth snapping. Well, that's a horrible situation. But if you were as observant as Tom Dorrance, maybe so you would have seen the 15 things that horse did before he came down the line with his teeth snapping and you'd have stopped that. But until you can see what you're looking at, you're probably going to end up putting bandages on bruises. I mean, there's, there's no other escape for that other than you live through it. And, uh, you know, uh, there's a horse trainer under every rock in Idaho. Did you know that? Oh, I, I would, I would imagine. <laughs> And um, it is, you know, you don't have to even know anything to hang a sign out on the side of the road saying horse trainer for hire. All you got to do is hang the sign out there. And uh, um, I have preached before anybody hires a trainer, they need to go look at that trainer, watch him ride, talk to him. They need to do their due diligence and interview him just like they were just like they were hiring a babysitter for their kids. And if you do your due diligence, there might be an opportunity for you to sort them coals out, you know, and not have to pay the price of being affiliated with someone that can't get done what you're hoping they'll get done. And then that drives you out of the horse business. And we just lost somebody else in the, in the, in the pool of, of, people with horses is getting smaller and smaller every day well that kind of touches on a subject that's near and dear to my heart H have you heard of training quality assurance the the nonprofit? uh basically it's a it's like the beef quality assurance program only it's for horse trainers and it sets industry standards for what you can expect you know from from a horse with Let's say from for the first 60 days of, of, of breaking a horse to ride. Yes, um, sir. Uh, I, I found it to be something that I think people that train for the public ought to really consider it for, for two for two reasons. You know, one, I think it holds the, the trainer accountable. And number two, I think it helps it helps protect the trainer from from the client pointing at them and saying, well, you know, you, you're not doing your job. And, and we all know that horses have learned at different speeds. Uh -huh. The thing about the training quality assurance program is, is that it's a list of, you know, it's a list of 16 tasks that after 60 days of training, a horse ought to be able to accomplish, you know, like stand to stand to be saddled, uh, stand to get on, uh, uh -huh. lead, lead on a loose rein, walk, trot, lope a circle, lope in a straight line away from the barn. You know, just uh -huh. not, you know, complex spins and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I've had trainer friends say, well, gosh, I'm not going to guarantee one of my horses will do that in 60 days. And, and nobody's asking you to, to guarantee that. But what we are going to do is when, you know, in the first two weeks, when you start working with the horse, you're probably going to know that progress is going to be at this, you know, with this particular horse, we're going to have to slow this down and we might be a little bit behind. So maybe I need to call my client and say, look, after two weeks, this is where we are. You know, I don't think we're going to be where you want to go in, in right. two months. Do you want to continue 
and and understand that it's going to take three months or more, or uh-huh. you know, or do we want to find a different prospect that's going to meet meet your requirements? Right. And what you're basically doing is you're putting on paper what used to be ethics. <laughs> right. And, and so, I mean, uh, let's say, let's say, for example, uh, let me see, let me, let me just drag something out of my, out of my memory bank here. Uh, I had a five-year-old half draft stud came from Yakima Indian reservation. Now that doesn't sound like, uh, something that anybody would want anything to do with but this lady wanted to make this horse into uh a wagon horse we when she contacted me about this horse i told her i says hell it might take me six months to even be able to put a halter on this horse without roping it so I was being upfront with this lady. I was actually trying to talk her out of getting this horse, but she went ahead and got it. And the horse was here for a really long time. But when he left here, he was where she wanted him to be. But if I had said to her, yeah, go buy it in 60 days, I'll have him where you can ride him around and drag a tarp behind you. Uh, that's not ethical. My whole business is based on, hey, I'm going to tell you the truth, even if it makes you mad at me. Evidently, telling the truth in the horse industry is kind of rare. I don't know. I've had people actually cloud up and cry, not because of what I said, but because I was being honest with them. And I think what you just described is a way to hold people to all the BS not being part of the equation, but it's damn sad that that has to be on paper when the guys that are my heroes, they'd look you in the eye and tell you, this can be done and that can't be. You know, they just look you in the eye and tell you that. And it was no reason of concern, but you know, if you have to write that down on a piece of paper, it's pretty damn sad reflection of the humans that are involved in the horse industry Uh, that's just my old school opinion you know it it is but i i can assure you i've been a victim of sending a horse to somebody for six months Uh and 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 being told that that he was making good progress and everything was good and everything was good um Uh after six months of 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 this gentleman riding this three-year-old I get him home and I don't ride the best in the world, but I can generally lope a horse in a circle. Well, this colt bucked me off in front of God and everybody at the slackering at the equestrian center in Nampa, Idaho, yeah. uh, out in the slack arena. And uh-huh. I was rather upset. <laughs> and as you should have been, you um, know. But I think there's so many people that have <laughs> been burnt like that. Yeah. That it's really, it makes it kind of hard on those of us that aren't. Yes, sir. And And I see it as a tool to combat that sort of thing. Right. And and I probably am a little bit different than most, I guess. I don't know. Somebody contacts me, say they cold call me, and uh, they're not referred by an ex-client. They're just cold called me because of something that they've seen or something that they've heard before I ever go to step two I tell them to come out to the house and we'll visit about their horse um I absolutely will not you know I mean and if they ain't got time to come out and talk to me about their expectations and what they want to achieve and their goals and this and that if they ain't got time to come out to the house to talk to me about that I just tell them I'm full but you know my place ain't mortgaged. You know, a lot of these trainers are are paying six, seven, ten thousand dollars a month in overhead, and they'll say and do about anything just to keep the barn full. And that's kind of the problem, a little bit. But oh, I'm I'm sure I'm sure there's a good share of that going on. 
So, so tell me, let's, let's talk just real quick and then we'll, we'll wrap this up. I know you, you might want to go get something to eat, right? Well, um, I get a, I, I feed at four 30 in the morning. So this is almost like staying up and partying to me. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, but, but just real quick. Um, I, I think it's, it's always beneficial to talk to a, to a professional trainer about your, your philosophy on guiding your clients, how to select a prospect. Yes, when, sir. When, you know, when you have, when you have good, good clients, in my opinion, they're going to ask you to help them pick out their next horse. You're, you know, I mean, coming from a, a potential futurity horse or something like that, you know, uh, I, I probably am not the guy to ask. Uh, I don't, you know, I do haul some baby horses, but my show pin stuff is is just about over. I I go to horse shows with my wife, and my wife shows trail and and uh, um, some other things. But uh, as far as training show horses for the public, it's been a really long time since I've done any of that, um, other than my yearlings and. Most of those people, I'm I'm handling one of their colts from their breeding program or a colt that they've purchased somewhere else, and we just danced with who we took to the party. Um, I think if I was looking for my own personal horse, the mind would be a hell of a lot more important than uh, anything else. You know, you can you can see if the lights are on or you can see if the lights are off. Uh, I won the Western Pleasure at the Idaho State Fair on a 70 cutter that was so sickle hawk that if she wasn't moving, you swear to God, she's going to sit down on her butt. And she won the Western Pleasure of the whole show against pleasure horses that came up from Utah and eastern Idaho and kind of all over. and it was because of her mind and she was a 70 cutter. She damn sure wasn't no Western pleasure horse, but you know, we got in it cause it was the fair. And, and the thing is the only thing that made that whole deal work was she just had a nice mind and, and you can make up for a lot of physical ailments. If you got the right mindset, I mean, humans can make up for those the same as a horse, but you know, uh, I, I really, uh, we went to Banff, Canada, looking for dressage prospects one time. And we looked at a whole barn full of yearling dressage horses. And the ones I picked out were maybe not necessarily the prettiest, but I think they'd have been the most trainable. And uh, I think they would have been the ones that kept it together mentally and emotionally. Um, ended up buying a couple of them, but, but, uh, it, it was never, it was never about you buy this horse or you ain't going to win. Um, I, I guess I'm not answering your question very well, but no, but you, but you really, you really, you really are. Um, you know, I, I think, I think you, you, you keep your, your, your eye on what your, your client is asking you for. But I think, I mean, I, I have a really good friend who, who said his favorite color of horse was gentle. <laughs> and, <Yes, sir. laughs> and I think, I think that's, you know, when, when all things, when it all comes tight, you know, we, we talk about all the, all the confirmation and the vet checks and all this stuff. But I, I really do agree with you that, that we, can, we can really help ourselves if we get the horse with the right disposition. And a lot of that other stuff isn't as important as, as it could be, you know, as we make it, we, we think it is. Yeah, there, there's no sense in somebody going and looking for, uh, there's no sense in, in, in in somebody going and looking for a horse for a speed event that's got a 102 speed index, if their mind 
can't keep up with that 102 speed index, all they're going to do is turn that horse into a runaway or a bucking horse that can do it fast. You know, there, there has to be, uh, there has to be commonality. There has to be common ground. And, and if you walk up to a horse and he comes up to you and he kind of nuzzles you all over and he's got a nice look in his eye and form to function being what it is, if he's not just deformed, he'd probably get along with you just fine unless you train that out of him, you know, but, uh, hell, I, I'm probably the worst person in the world to take a, to take on a horse buying trip. Cause I'm going to find horses that I want to work with. I'm not going to find a bunch of horses that are, that are going to be so challenging that when you end up the horse that would have been fun to work with would have been just as good, you know? So that's where I'm coming. Well, I know, I know great athletes, the, the you know, they're, they're, there's at the combine, you know, they can all run fast and they can all jump high and they're all really strong. Yeah. But the ones that, the ones that they are really sought out are the ones that are coachable. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, and, I, and I really, I appreciate that, that, you know, I'm, I'm not just a voice in the wilderness that, you know, th- that their, their buckskin color or, and, and their beautiful face and, and all of that is really nice, but that pales in comparison to their teachability, in my opinion, as far as whether that's a horse you ought to have or not. Yes, um, sir. And, and I, I try and teach, tell people all the time that, that you need to find the horse with the right disposition for what you want to do, not by the shiniest, prettiest one you see. Yes, sir. You are correct, too. I went with a lady to look for a dressage prospect and we went and found us a yearling. Wasn't hauled or broke, couldn't catch it, but it trotted really nice. And it had a nice floaty little trot. So she rolled the dice, we bought the horse. I hauled it for, I hauled it for a year and we won everything that we could win that year with that horse. But that horse ended up as a pickup horse at the rodeos. He's he's a really nice pickup horse now. He never did make it to the dressage pin, but he always had been trainable and kind. And she was happy that he was a rodeo pickup horse. And the horse was happy because he got to do something that fit him. And everybody comes out ahead on that deal. And I think there's... I think that story could be repeated over and over again if a person was to just see what they're looking at, you know. Well, Butch, it's been it's been an honor visiting with you, sir. Um, well, I, I know you. everybody's going to really enjoy listening to this. Uh, uh, I I appreciate your interest in my deal, you know, because I surely ain't nobody. Um, I I I'm humbled by the fact that you're even interested enough to, to interview me. And I thank you for that, sir. You are, you are welcome. And, and really it's about, it's a, you know, there's, there's these big name trainers that, 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 you know, are on TV. Uh-huh. My, my wife tells me all the time that there's some, you know, there's, there's a, there's a need out there and you, and I know you see it because these people are bringing you horses Yes, sir. There's a need out there for for somebody besides Clinton Anderson that can help <laughs> them out at, at the level at where they're at. Yes, sir. Um, and, uh, and that's my goal is to is to serve those people who are, you know, who want and love their horses and they yeah. want they want to go to the next level. Um, but, you know, they don't want to buy DVDs to do it. Well, once again, it goes back to fame, fortune, and glory. Those are three wrong reasons to have a horse. There are three wrong reasons to even call yourself a trainer. If all you're interested in is fame, fortune, and glory, you're better off selling four-wheelers at Honda on Cleveland Boulevard. And the people that are so busy trying to get famous that they forget to do the work 
Those are the ones that get left in the dust. But who am I? It's just an opinion. And well, uh, and that's and that's what we get paid the big bucks for is for our opinion. And I I believe that people will hear the sincerity and it will touch their heart. And that 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 ultimately, you know, this this will make a difference. Um, I hope so, so. I I I believe I believe we're you know we, we received so much from from the people before us that yeah. we're, we're incumbent to to pay to pay that forward. And, and God blessed us with with you know a means of communicating uh, with this you know this podcast platform is a way to get information out that that is you know never before available and so i'm i'm very excited about you know where where horsemanship is going to go in the in the uh, near future you know it's it's my heroes have always said that man if 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 you could just keep it focused on the horse everything else will take care of itself man everything else will take care of itself And, and and uh, you can't just use it as a means of generating income. Everybody's got to pay the rent and everybody has to buy groceries. But I think a person could do that without sacrificing another living creature. That's just my, it's my thoughts, you know, and it's my beliefs. And that's why I get up in the morning at 4.30 is because I get one more chance to get it right. I ain't guaranteed nothing except a chance. And if I could just get that one horse to do that one thing just a little bit better, then that whole day was worth it. You know, <laughs> I'm pretty simple minded, I guess. But, Amen, brother, though. Amen. Um, I, I, I think that's that's when you when you when you hear a true horseman, that's what it sounds like. Well, you you just got done mentioning two or three horsemen that I that I I. Uh, I, I haven't been as successful as them, but, you know, uh, Wade Black and, and Annie Reynolds, you know, they're, they're top shelf and, 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 and just to even be included in this deal is an honor, sir. And I thank you for that. Um, I, I, uh, I bless you for your endeavor. Well, thank you, Butch and God bless you and, and your lovely bride. And we will see you at the, at the next show. I'm sure. Thank you so much for joining me on horse sense One Hundred and One a podcast dedicated to helping you have that meaningful relationship with your horse you always wanted to have. Please tell your horsey friends about us and invite them to join us on our Facebook group, Horse Sense 101, and every Monday for our podcast available at 6 a.m. Mountain Time. I'd like to thank you, my listeners, members, and Mr. Butch Mowdy. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Soars above the pinion pines And we know these horses stand for something That is precious and more rare Than all the silver and the gold from them old mines So let them run Let them run Let them wild ponies run Don't you brand them, don't you break them Take a single one Let them run